Hello everybody, my name is John Fusco, and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. Today on the show we have two very special interviews that I conducted back at Sundance. The first with a few members of the Brigsby Bear team, and the second with a few members of the Killing Ground team. Both movies came out earlier this month in July. Let's start it off with my favorite movie that I've seen on a festival this year, Brigsby Bear. There's a scene in Brigsby Bear where Kyle Mooney's familiarly awkward protagonist, James, finds himself hunched over the toilet of a dirty cineplex bathroom. Scores of people have come to witness the premiere of his first feature film, also titled Brigsby Bear, but for a man who spent the majority of his life held hostage underground, the moment has proven too much. It may have been a long and arduous journey just to find himself hovering over a toilet bowl, but in surrounding himself with the people he loved and pursuing, quite literally, the only thing he knew how to do, James had finally found his own way to communicate with the outside world. In a strangely metaphysical moment, the founders of the Good Neighbor sketch comedy group found themselves living out the exact circumstances of their movie's character. A large audience had gathered at Sundance to witness the world premiere of their first feature film, Brigsby Bear, only to react with rapturous joy and a standing ovation at the end. We do not, however, have confirmation on whether there was puke involved. As I mentioned earlier, I sat down with director Dave McCary and screenwriter Kevin Costello in Park City, where their film had just sold to Sony Picture Classics for $5 million, to discuss the journey each of them took to get there. From silly YouTube sketches to Saturday Night Live digital shorts to full-length features, their process is a great model for collaborative filmmaking. Okay, so let's get right into it. Um, I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves so the audience can get familiar with your voice. Great. Uh, this is Dave McCary. I'm the director of Brigsby Bear. And my name is Kevin Costello. I co-wrote uh, Brigsby Bear with Kyle Mooney. Great. So let's talk a little bit about the journey to get to this point where you had, where you got the opportunity to make the feature. I know you guys were childhood friends. Um, your mess, the message in the film is one that definitely resonates with our film, with our audience as far as like just go out do as much as you can, take whatever resources you can. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, I mean, that my whole experience in, in discovering film and, and how to do this, this crazy business is just doing it, like not thinking about the the, enter- the industry and, and really just thinking about how can me and my friends make shit that's going to make us laugh and... and uh, and so yeah, we just we actually Kyle, uh, who's a co-writer with Kevin and, and stars in the film, his dad bought us a, a camera that we had like picked out. We were super poor, and his dad's got some cash, and we were like, "What hey, kind of camera was it?" It was a Panasonic ZV-X100B, and we I shot almost every Good Neighbor video on that until like the very end. We did a few where we actually got a DP, but I, I truly didn't know what I was doing I just like went online or read the tutorials and you know just figured it out but I was also go- I went to film school um, I'm not even going to say where I went but I, I dropped out such a fucking waste of money and uh, and uh, yeah it was just so clear it was around the time that YouTube was like a clear place to just practice and, and make mistakes and um, yeah we just did it and that was the best thing we could have done is just like we were definitely feeding off the energy of like, oh, we could, people can see our shit, and uh, let's just be silly and, and 
have fun and learn how to do this. And there's a, a number of videos that I am just mortified by that they are, still exist on the internet. Uh, but I'm, I'm just so grateful that we had the chance to, to fuck up so much. Yeah. So we could now hopefully not fuck up on movies. How long <laughs> have, we will. How we have you be, guys been making videos? Like, if you were to count from when you first got that camera, when was that? Uh, that camera we probably got... 2005, so 11 years ago. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then, how, what was the sort of collaboration like on those videos as far as like writing, directing, actors? Did you guys all wear the hats or was um, there like sort of a relegated? I mean, very collaborative with the Good Neighbor guys conceptually. And Kyle and, and Nick Rutherford um, were, were like the key writing guys in the group. Like they, they were clearly the best at structure uh, f- for sketches and then I was just their only like filmmaker f- friend and I grew up with Kyle and I would visit him he was going to USC I would visit him on the weekends I was an hour away at, <coughs> again at film school um, and I would visit them on the weekends and I just fell in love with his friends and they were so funny and I was the one guy that like kind of knew how to use a camera um, Really, editing was the first thing that I learned well. I felt like I was really good at Final Cut. And um, so they would, after, you know, I I would direct, but we were all kind of directing each other, and it was super, super collaborative. Um, But I would direct the technical aspect of things on top of us all being very uh, open about, like, oh, this performance would work if it went this way. Um, But it was never, like, me making the final call on stuff because we were such a, a unit and then but then they would walk away for once the editing happens because it's a it's a miserable process so i understand how they wouldn't want to be involved they would just wait for me to present them a cut and then if you know if they had notes or anything but they were so trust trusting and um yeah we just we figured it out well then it, yeah then they can also spend time creating the next idea for a sketch yeah, you know exactly um so then how would that process carry over into your first feature Again, super collaborative, a, a much bigger situation and, and a lot more cogs in the, uh, what is that term? The cogs <laughs> in the cog machine. In the yeah. cog machine. Yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, I, I'm a very, I, I, I'm a big proponent of collaboration and I know there's a lot of filmmakers out there who are such geniuses but really need to be hands-on in every single aspect and I, I I like that to a certain degree but I also like the idea of finding someone who I think is brilliant like for instance our, our DP uh, Christian Spranger who was recommended to us by one of our producers and he did Atlanta and, and Last Man on Earth and um, Baskets and I just loved his use of natural light and I just trusted him so much it was so different than me shooting our shitty videos on a DVX and not knowing I hating using lights A B not knowing any of the terminology truly I still am like I'm hearing terms and I'm like pretending like oh, yeah, yeah yeah for sure use this yeah open it up a little bit <laughs> yeah. fake it to make it uh, and it really was a lot of faking it till I, I made it uh, not to say that I've made anything well you have <laughs> well, I just made one <laughs> thing look around D <laughs> uh, but yeah it's, it really is just uh, letting go of, of control and just trusting uh, the writers and trusting the, and really I want them to be um, 
part of the conversation in so many decisions because we are uh, the best we can be when we're all talking about it and having the conversation and, and not one asshole going like, oh, it's going to be my way or fuck you guys. Yeah. The, uh, the look of the film, you got into uh, the DP's brilliance a little bit. Um, you know, it's so much different than your typical Saturday Night Live movie in that sense. Um, and I know you, you've been directing digital shorts for SNL. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like as a fan of the Good Neighbor sketches, the sort of framework that SNL provides you guys with, I'm not really sure how involved they are in like being like, okay, you guys got to like tone it back a little bit or whatever. But I feel like with this feature, you were given the opportunity to fully sort of prove your vision in that sense. Can you talk a little yeah, bit you're about that? Hundred percent true. I, I mean, it, SNL is its own very distinct challenge. Where um, obviously we can't just—it's on television, so you can't. The, with, with realism, if you want to like do a scene with a conversation where someone naturally would say "fuck that" or like "I don't give a fuck about this," you just can't write that. And that's a, you know, it's it's everyone in the history of, of television has dealt with that, and and we uh, had to learn how to because a lot of our YouTube videos definitely were not we could not put on television because they're they have those elements Um, but yeah I'm so grateful for that challenge and to learn how to make things more accessible because we know our voice is can be too weird for people and too alienating for people and Kevin actually, uh, I think, is really brilliant at harnessing the the oddity that is our voice and also making it understandable to a, a bigger audience, which is really not something we're great at. We're not good at making every uh, everybody like our stuff. Well, because you had a line in the movie that was like when he was in the bathroom yes. and it's like he's thrown up, and then the guy's just like, "Who cares what they think?" Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's all. That's been something I respect about your videos a lot. Um, and for Kevin, like coming back, because I know you were sort of away from the group for a while. Yes. Was that how? How was that for you? And how was that for well, you, Dave? You in should the sense clarify because Kev- yeah, clarify. Kevin please. was was not a part of Good Neighbor. He I was, was not a part of Good Neighbor, but I did hold a boom mic. Um, <laughs> you did hold a boom mic on it. Well, Ke- Kevin was our our screenwriter friend who we knew right. from middle school, but we only had like a year or two of of friendship at 7th and 8th grade. Yeah. I mean, there was pretty good friendship, though. Talking Six it Flags. Was, yeah. talk- oh, yeah. I, I, I remember going over to his house to watch some Limp, Limp Bizkit videos. Nice. <laughs> we yeah, love we still Faith. do that. We yeah. love the Faith cover. <laughs> yeah, it was just an edgier version of the original song, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but then, you know, when we were really thinking about features, and Kyle specifically had this great idea, and Kevin, we knew, is like the one guy who's, who has put together long-form scripts, and we just loved him as a person. Yeah, I've been working professionally for a couple years prior to that, so, and, and you know, I just, just being friends with these guys, you know, um, I, I, I feel like I knew the exact tone, and Kyle's voice, like, I felt very comfortable writing towards, just because, you know, um, and, and having him there, and obviously it was just so, there's a lot of trust, I feel like, extended from these guys, because they already had such an entrenched kind of uh, voice and brand, so I wanted to, you know, find that, but also sort of like make it our own sort of like distinct uh, feel, um, I guess. Uh, so, and I think it straddles that line pretty well. Um, yeah, definitely. When did that initial idea actually sort of like come? I remember into Kyle place? talking about it 
uh, you know, maybe like six years ago, he definitely had this idea of, of the of a, a weird children's show being he, him being the only person who's ever seen it but he it wasn't fully fleshed out i don't know how fleshed out it was when you heard about it um he kind of pitched me uh he had a document that was like two pages uh that uh sort of introduced the the concept of the seclusion and then what happens after and uh everything else we had to build out from there but i feel like he had such a strong um understanding of who this character was and in so little that i as soon as i read it i I was like, I have to do this, and um, at the time, it was like, you guys weren't on SNL yet when they when I, we first started talking about this, and Kyle and I were like, well, maybe we'll Kickstarter it, or you know, maybe you know. So obviously, it's like it feels crazy, like how how long ago that that was, um, but uh, it was really helpful how patient I think we were with because you guys could have tried to rush in and put right, yeah, but we definitely didn't, and I had assignments that I had to do, and these guys had their job and first season on SNL it's like whenever there's a week free or a week off Kyle and I were able to get together and he would fly back to LA which was great and crash my guest room and we would just write all day and stuff like that so um, but yeah we definitely took our time with it and, and did a couple drafts and by the time we started showing it to people um, then uh, you know there wasn't there, it didn't feel like that long after uh, there was you know we got our producers and got everyone. Yeah, um, people were so responsive so quickly once the script got out and like immediately Lonely Island, who we were, you know, kind of buddies with but didn't know too well, but I think we had always wanted to work with and they responded to it, to it so wonderfully and then Lord Miller responded to it wonderfully and then they were like so each other lucky, and like, yeah. let's just do it together. And um, I mean, yeah, it, it does lucky. seem like the perfect production team to put on a movie like the guys, the one that you guys it was, made. It was a dream come true creatively, I think, for us too, just because, and, and having worked in like the studio system and, and you know, there it, things operate a certain way there and a certain uh, opacity and you don't really know uh, why decisions are being made or creatively there's other things behind sort of creative notes that you get and here it was just so supportive and so um, they they really empowered us to, to, to make our movie and were so helpful creatively it was definitely the most like freeing best experience I've ever had writing anything so we've hit on you know taking your time with the script to fully flesh it out make sure you're ready to you know do it don't force it don't rush it but at the same same time we've talked about you know get out and do as much as you can video wise um if you have I'm, i have to wrap up here um so i'm just going to ask based on your experience based on your journey if you had one piece of advice for aspiring filmmakers trying to get into the game or just trying to put on a, a passion project like you guys have what would you say uh i mean it goes back to just like obviously just make doing whatever you can to just make something and and make those mistakes and know it's gonna you're gonna make shitty videos i mean now that phones pretty much have high enough quality to where you can create a an entire movie with them like no no one is not able to do this and if they really if you really want it just do it and you know this, everyone fucking says this this is the worst advice no, <laughs> like, I mean, is there something more poignant I could say I don't think I mean I, I think that it's just like they're, making art for its own sake it, uh, it can often feel like uh, 
crazy or insane or, or why am I doing this? And I feel like we were definitely like in, we, we've all been in that place with the stuff we've made. And um, it, it just, it, it, you, you have to do it. And you have to have something to say and you have to just like trust that, um, that, that desire to get it out there and that desire to make it, you know, even though there's no clear path towards where it's going to end up or where it's going to lead, um, just following that, that passion, I feel like is the only thing you can do. Yeah. Um, and well, at I've the got- time we started writing Brigsby, it's not like, oh yeah, we're going to, this is, <laughs> you know, we're going to ride this ship all the way to <laughs> right. party town. Like it was just, it was something that I knew that I loved and I just yeah. and it made it a priority. So yeah. I've got another cliche. Don't give up. Yeah. Great. That's <laughs> never heard that one before. Either, so. Cool guys. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time out of this. Right. Yeah. It was nice meeting you. Thank you very nice. much. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, man. Killing Ground is an unorthodox movie in every sense of the word. Audiences will think they found themselves in very familiar territory as the opening credits roll off the screen over a happy couple on their way to a romantic getaway in the Australian bush. Even with the expectation that something very bad is about to happen to this seemingly idyllic couple, there's no way you can really prepare yourself for what happens next. Through a lethal combination of non-linear storytelling, gender reversals, and deliverance-type thrills, director Damien Power successfully toys with audience expectations all the way through his debut feature, which, I might add, took 11 years to make. Joining Power and I in this interview are two of the film's stars, Arian Glenane, who played the film's terrifying antagonist, and Maya Stange, victim to one of the film's most brutal plot twists. We discussed how Australia's film scene helps to foster artists who take greater risks, the lengths Power went to to get his film made, and the strategies he put in place to create the script for Sundance's most mind-bending horror film. Hey everyone, I'm here with filmmaker and some actors from Killing Ground. I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourselves so that the podcast listeners can get familiar with your voice, starting with you. Yeah, I'm Damien Power, writer and director of Killing Ground. Uh, my name's Aaron Glenane, and I play Chuck. And I'm Maya Stang, I play Margaret. Great. So... We were talking a little bit about this before the podcast, but I'm personally very interested in what the Australian film scene is like. So maybe starting from the director's standpoint uh, and then from the actor's standpoint. Yeah, look, I think um, I think making films is hard everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's any less hard in Australia. I think um, I feel that Australians punch kind of above their weight in terms of the size of the place and the scale of the industry. Um, and I think you see... A lot of Australian talent um, here in in Hollywood and America and working in the UK. Um, so, and then there's I think you know there's a there's a kind of credit card film sort of scene as oh, yeah. well there, but that's pretty small. Yeah, interesting because because your movie is very progressive, I would say. So I was wondering if maybe that scene is more progressive out there, the film scene. Or is it more credit card, as you would say? I think it's a challenge to make uh, genre cinema in Australia. And I'm so grateful that we had the support of um, the agencies, Screen Australia and Screen New South Wales, um, to make this project. Um, but I think, you know, genre cinema sort of faces, the like low budget or, you know, indie kind of genre cinema faces those same challenges wherever you are. And maybe there's a deeper appreciation here in the States for that? or Yeah, I think so. I mean, you see a lot of those films coming out um, here and playing at Sundance, for example. So, right. yeah, maybe that's true. Mm-hmm. And how about for acting? Is it? Did you go to acting school? Were you kind of? Was this something you kind of just fell into? Or 
Ah, uh, no, I got into acting because I was really shy as a kid and mum was like, you need to learn how to talk to people. <laughs> so, so she sent me directly to a speech and drama teacher um, and that's kind of how it started. And then she randomly said, you're going to an audition for a musical. And I was like, why? I don't sing or dance or act. And she's like, you're doing it. And I went in and somehow got into it and then here I am today. So, it was. Wow. A, I mean, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player, but it turns out I'm 5'11". Yeah white really skinny and that was never gonna happen completely <laughs> yeah. uncoordinated yeah exactly um I don't know that. but to, uh, I, f- I feel like the australian industry is is really exciting right now and uh, and i think maybe especially television because of you know all the streaming networks now that have popped up here the last five ten years it's kind of forced australian content to to, to get really exciting and, and it has you know some of our sort of um cable series on um foxtel and stan um and and even our network series now are are really exciting really exciting to work on so it's it's a great time to be working in australia i wish there was more work but that's okay (laughs) don't all actors so yeah exactly that's it so but the the projects are great Mm. yeah it's interesting because i think because we're such a small country and there's not a whole lot of money circulating through our industry we do have a lot of government agencies who finance films you know in conjunction with independent finance but it's kind of thin on the ground financially so in a way we're liberated by that because we're not as beholden to these box office numbers that you are here and there's such a pressure in america i think on the you know and we also have the pressure of a big opening weekend can make or break you but it's a it's on a different scale and i have a feeling that that's kind of encouraged us to reach a little bit and and to explore deeper themes and um to to kind of you know our government agencies are very focused on multicultural productions and not being fixed in one socioeconomic group so it in a way we're encouraged yeah. To, to stretch, which I think is a really good thing. About yeah, and the there's also, also a focus on um, talent escalation um, with the agencies as well. So there's support for up and coming um, filmmakers, which is great. So how does it, how does that work? How does the talent escalation, as you as you put it, work? Is it's well, they support um, sort of short filmmaking, okay, um, and uh, writing courses. Um, so you know, it's all about developing talent and um actually there's a there's been um series of uh directors attachments so that you know um up-and-coming directors can get attached to um feature films that are about to roll and um quite high-end tv series um so that's that's a, a great thing because i think um one of the important things that is kind of tricky in in the business is um, mentorship mm-hmm. and finding the right mentor because I think I think that's really hard and I think um, it's really beneficial to find someone um, who you can learn from because you know oftentimes you know people with a lot of experience they're they're really busy yeah. you know or they're doing their own thing and it's hard to kind of approach those people and go hey you know I'd like to learn from you can yeah. you can you help me out here it's almost like you know, the blockbusters, uh, like, you know, Marvel Universe, all these Star Wars movies that are coming out, they're all looking at independent film directors to, like, take on these franchises for yeah. them. And it sounds like in Australia, you have, you, it seems like it's a similar phenomen- phenomenon, but not with blockbusters, with actual, like, passion projects and things that are artistic and things that, you know, you might not see in a multiplex in 
California. Yeah. Let's talk about your own journey for Killing Ground. Yeah. Because I, you know, you said it was an 11 year process. How did yeah. that start? Take us through <laughs> it step by step. Yeah. So I had been working with my producer, Joe Weatherston, on a um, particular project um, that we had actually um, in a and an, in an agency script lab. So like script labs, you know, you you pull the thing apart and then you put it back together. And uh, sometimes you just can't put those pieces back together. So we were working on that project. And during that process, I had this idea. Um, and it kind of occurred to me as an, an image, like the image of this tent in the bush and that's no sign of anybody. And that kind of started to suggest a story to me, like what happened to these people. And so I came, up, I came up with this idea quite quickly and said to Joe, I've got this great idea. You know, I think we could make this fast and cheap. And here we are 11 years later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, it was a process. So the writing was a process. And then I think um, we had it uh, ready to go. Um, we felt it was ready to go about five years ago. And then uh, none of the shorts that I'd made at film school were of a similar kind of genre. So... We decided to make a short to work as a calling card. And so we made a short film called Peekaboo, which is about a woman who loses her young daughter in a car park and thinks her daughter's been abducted. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, plot wise, nothing to do with um, the feature, but tonally and thematically, and in terms of showing that I could direct some suspense and action, yeah. it was really effective. Um, so that film did really well for us. Travelled to a lot of festivals. Um, Travelled to uh, had we had our international premiere in Busan, and that's where I kind of pitched the feature to our international sales agent, Films Distribution, and they came on board at that point. And then you know it was another few years of trying to raise that money and get a local distributor on board. And those two uh, are the kind of pieces of the puzzle that you need to trigger. Um, agency investment in Australia. Okay. So you you made the short, um, but you had the script for the future before. So what you did was you sort of made like a spiritual prequel in the sense of tone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I so it, it, yeah. so it, was, it was definitely something about... It, the, the, the whole purpose was to show that I could direct this script um, that required, uh, well, a lot of... Um, action and intensity and but also suspense mm -hmm. yeah and then that's how you two met right uh, you, you were so this was a different short that i worked on oh, with, okay. with aaron okay. yeah so um after doing peekaboo then um i did a number of shorts over the next few years that we were trying to raise the money for the feature um because it was it's great um, it's great. I mean, not only is it great practice, but it's fun making um, these short films. Um, and I, uh, the short that I made with Aaron is called Hitchhiker, and it was an experimental. I got some money from um, Afters to make a, which is the film school in um, Sydney, um, to make an experimental film. And I ended up making this, what I sort of think of as a kind of ultimate hitchhiker movie, um, where all the lines of dialogue in the film are from hitchhiking scenes in other films huh. like every single line and so I created an entirely new story with that old dialogue and came to kind of realize as I was doing it that you know hitchhiking scenes in films not even just hitchhiking films are all about the same thing it's all about that fear of you know getting into a stranger's car mm -hmm. or getting letting a stranger into your car and invariably the antagonist is always a serial killer or an escaped prisoner 
So I had an escaped prisoner pick up a serial killer. So you know. it's it's interesting because I you know I got that sense watching the movie last night. Up until a certain point, you didn't really know who that serial killer was going to be. You know, there was there was, uh, and I won't spoil anything. Um, but how do you use those sort of tropes to create something so unique? And you know, how did also on writing that question, the uh, the way you told the story was very unique. Was that something that you had in mind from the beginning or? Yeah, I think because I um, the idea came about thinking about who the occupants of the tent were, mm-hmm. um, it was important to me to tell the whole story of the events around um, uh, the incident, yeah. I guess. Um, so that meant telling not only the story of the occupants of the tent, the family, um, but also the antagonists um, and our protagonist who stumble across the scene. And the idea of doing it as a non-linear piece um, came to me right at, pretty much right at the beginning, actually, um, because I think if you're going to take a, a genre story with those familiar beats and tropes, and and which is great because then you create expectations for the audience, yeah, yeah. Um, you want to do something new with it. And survival thrillers are usually relentlessly linear, you know, for good reason. You want to be sewn into that journey with those characters. Um, so in many respects, this this film starts out as a kind of a suspense sort of thriller um, and a mystery. Um, you know, what happened here? What's the? How are these characters involved? What are they doing? Where are we now? You know, what is what is the relationship between these um, things? And I think that's kind of unsettling for an audience. You know, they don't know where they are. Um, and I think as the film progresses, as it goes on. There's more. There's a more and more sense of, okay, they're kind of throwing out the rule book now. You know, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know who's going to be safe. Right. Right. And that's yeah. some of the progressive nature of the film that I was talking about. You know, this sort of gender role reversal again. I don't want to give anything away <laughs> yeah. because this is the type of movie that you really want to kind of go into blind. Um, and so I guess I'm going to wrap it up here just by asking if you had any sort of advice for emerging filmmakers. Yeah. Um, people who are just starting off on their 11-year journey to make their yeah, feature. That's right. Um, what would it be? And actors too. Yeah. Look, I think I think you've got to have talent and you've got to have persistence and that will bring you a bit of luck. But if you can also find a mentor, someone to help and guide you through that process, I think that's um, a real advantage. Great. It's funny that you came up with this idea 11 years ago because that's when I moved to Sydney 11 years ago <laughs> to start my acting uh, acting dream. So yeah. that's, that's, that's quite um, funny. Yeah, yeah. It must have been something in the water. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Bondo Beach is going off. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, you know, I watched a great video on Facebook the other day with Denzel Washington and he was talking about, um, you know, having dreams and, and going for your dreams. And, and, and in the video he talks about, you know, to get to where you want to achieve your full potential, you've got to have really clear goals and you've got to be disciplined, um, yeah. which I think kind of ties in to what you were saying. You know, set your highest goal and then little goals along the way and how you're going to get there. And then you've got to be disciplined and work out every day. And I, I, that's one thing I really pride myself on as an actor that I've, uh, I haven't been handed anything along the way and I've worked really hard to, to get to the point I'm at now. And, and I, I'm going to continue doing that so I can I can hopefully get some really complex and compelling roles and tell tell great stories because um that's what I'm excited about. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I usually, uh, when people ask me that question, should I get into acting? I really like it. What do you think? How's it been for you? Because um, I've been doing this since I was a teenager, so for a while now. Um, I always say, do you feel like you can't do anything else? Do you feel cold to this? Or do you just think it would be a fun career because you get to have your face on the magazine covers or whatever? And and I really encourage people to think before they sign up for this job because it's, um, you know, it's not always easy. And you have to love it with such a passion that you really have the grit to stick with whatever comes down the line. And, and I would include success in that scenario like I know people who have achieved great success and fame and been incredibly miserable and suicidal and so I think you've got to you've got to love this work and you've got to focus on the work and not take things so personally it's so easy as actors because we are our instrument that you can take rejection to mean something about you and your value and your talent. And I really encourage people to as much as possible to not make that mistake because, you know, yeah, I mean, there's I, so many factors in getting a role. Same thing goes for filmmakers, I think, too. You know, you really got to be 100% committed to it. Yeah, and, and believe in what you do, love what you do and focus on that. Don't measure yourself and compare yourself to what's going on around you because you can just psych yourself out. You gotta keep the faith. Well, congrats guys. It was awesome. Killing ground. See it when it comes to America. Thank yeah. you so much for having Come us. Come camping Thank in you. Australia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't go camping in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's twofer, everybody. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the No Film School podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Give us a nice little five-star rating if you really like us. And be sure to tune in to Indie Film Weekly this Thursday. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me at Jim underscore John underscore Jim on Twitter. And you can follow No Film School at No Film School. See you Thursday. Thursday.